Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the first Thursday of the month, which means it's time for our monthly Q&A with Dr. Jessica Krantz. She talks healthy skin and glowing from within all the way from Manhattan. Please welcome her back to the show. Happy New Year, Dr. Krant. Happy New Year, Chef AJ. So excited to be back and starting 2024 with you. Well, me too. And I thank you so much for being here. And as the old saying goes, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is we have 18 new questions, which isn't that many, and possibly you can even get through them. The bad news is we have over 50 from months and months before. So I'm thinking at some point, maybe you could do like a Dugathon, but you're Jessica Rabbit. So Jessica-a-thon, where we, where we charge a very nominal fee. And on a weekend, we just do a three-hour jam and get through all the questions. What do you think? I would love to do that. And, you know, then we can get everybody ready to send in even more questions and just have fun with it. Let's do it. Yep. I just don't know how to get through them. I mean, you know, I try to ask them in the order it was received and, you know, we do our best. So, okay, well, let's, unless you have anything new on the skin front, uh, let's just hop in. You know, that, you know, last time there were so many questions about Trent. I can never say that medicine's name, the Retin-A thing. Do you think people have stopped taking it because of that? Well, the honest answer to that question is that I have been out of my office for the past week or so for the holidays. So I haven't gotten a lot of feedback from my patients yet, but I know that people are weighing what to do for themselves personally. And, you know, I, I would support any decision. I understand people wanting to be extra careful, but I also understand that we have to weigh risks and benefits and the likelihood of anything happening to one individual, plus what I had said originally about not worrying so much about younger people putting it on intact, healthy skin, that people who are not these the VA patient population that they had tested in that 2009 study, and using smaller amounts that are not meant for treating skin cancers, and the fact that they did not really, were never able to prove a causal link in terms of dose response and a specific reason that so many of those patients in that study supposedly died early, that they had to stop the study. So I think questions, jury is still out on the reality of how to think about it. I think it's fascinating that we're digging into the topic and really going to eventually figure out how to think about the retinoids, but I'm personally not worried for use on the face in intact, healthy skin and at small doses. Right. Well, I mean, if it was really that bad, wouldn't some other, wouldn't it come up by now with, with other people? Because I'm sure you and many other dermatologists and plastic surgeons through, for many, many years have been prescribing it. And I'm curious if, if we have to stop it, just like other medicines, like, you know, Fen-Fen, you had to stop that. Is there anything as good? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because it's true that no matter what studies we do to approve drugs and make sure they're safe before they go on the market, we always find out much more in what they call the post-marketing studies, the population use. When it becomes hundreds of thousands and millions of people using a, a drug or a product over years and decades, that's when we start to get data 
that may come in showing very small effects that wouldn't be able to be seen in a small study. Since we don't know that there's been a huge problem with people using all of the retinoids from the drugstores, from the prescriptions, I agree with you that it does make us worry less. And your question about what could we use instead, I don't know that there's any one single product that would exactly replace the vitamin A derivatives. But of course, you know, I'm going to say we should really be handling this from within with our diets, with our stress management, with our sleep. All of those things are proven to minimize wrinkling and even potentially reverse some skin aging. And there are other products that we could use that do parts of the job of the vitamin A derivatives, you know, vitamin C antioxidants, maybe azelaic acid, the, the alpha hydroxy and beta hydroxy acids, the glycolic acids, the salicylic acids, and the plant-based molecule that we think of as a cousin of the retinoids, the bacuchiol, which has been shown to have some retinoid-like effect, I think will become more and more popular as we try to get try to get natural, try to be safe, but try to also feel and look our best at the same time. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens on that front, because I know a lot of people in this audience already eat a healthy diet and have been using that and they don't want to give it up. Right. And you know what? I mean, there are things that we do for even entertainment that we know have risk and we we don't want to be living our lives without them. People scuba dive, people ride motorcycles, people go skydiving, and we know the risks and we, we'd rather live a life with that little bit of joy, a little bit of personal fun. And that's our decision. You want to die earlier? You want to look good? No, just kidding. That shouldn't have to be a choice. Just kidding. First question. I don't think we've had this one before, and it's a good one. Uh, from Benito. I have to shave my face every day for work. Do you have any tips for avoiding razor burn? For some people, uh, especially different different skin types and different hair types, the hair hairs can grow more naturally curly. And hairs, hairs that have deep curl, tight curls, are very prone to becoming ingrown hairs as they, when they grow back in, when they start to grow. So for some people, it's almost impossible to naturally completely avoid razor burn, razor bumps when the hairs start to grow. And then what happens is if you have to shave every day, you end up shaving over already irritated, bumpy skin, creating more injury, more inflammation, and a more, an even more difficult situation for those little hairs. So Things like um, calming the skin, reducing inflammation are important. Using very, very sharp razors so that you don't have to press hard, so that you can just lightly trim the hair without scraping the skin. Shaving uh, where possible in the direction that the hairs are growing. It gives you a slightly less clean shave, but it also injures the hair follicle less and creates less ingrowns, fewer ingrowns. One of, one of the big tricks I like to tell my patients is, although we think that we should shave after a hot shower or after a steam treatment, although that does make the hairs softer, it creates more ingrowns because what happens when hair 
gets damp and hot is that it actually absorbs the moisture, absorbs the steam and the hot water. The hairs swell up and they do become softer, easier to shave. But when they dry, those hairs will actually shrink back. And when they're short, they shrink and pull below the surface. The next day, they're trying to grow and those sharp little cut tips are trying to find their way out of the skin. And they are more likely to be poking the under surface of the skin and causing razor bumps. So in a way, shaving earlier before the hairs are swollen can create fewer razor bumps and less razor burn later on. So we should, everyone should try different aspects of these techniques for themselves and see which things are the most helpful. But keep in mind some things we do to make the shave more clean increase the risk of problems later. What do you, I, I don't know if men do this, but like, you know, like women can have laser. I had it done like here, you know, um, and then because I hated shaving and I hated that same thing. And could, um, could, could a man do it on their face if they really didn't want facial hair or is that not safe if it's on the face? It's laser, laser hair removal is safe if done by a very experienced, um, ideally board certified physician who has a lot of laser experience or somebody directly supervised by a board certified. Yeah. So I went to a nurse practitioner in a right. doctor's office. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes there are staff in those offices have extensive experience. And the reason that matters is safety. Um, when we're trying to laser hair, we're trying to set the laser up to properly see the difference between the hair color and the skin color. And if the laser settings aren't right or the wrong laser's chosen, the laser can't see the difference and will burn the skin while trying to kill the hair root. So that's very important for safety. But the reason that men don't do this all the time is that effective laser hair removal is semi-permanent to permanent and is definitely permanent reduction. So maybe people aren't ready to commit to forever not being able to grow a beard, a mustache, um, you know, if styles change, if you've really truly laser lasered your whole face and stopped the hairs from growing, uh, you know, even if it's done well later on, maybe you, you might wish you hadn't. I think that may be why a lot of men don't do it, but it's very common to do the, the under the chin area and the neck area where we're hardly ever going to really want hair growing there. Interesting. Well, thanks. Yeah, because some you know you you see like laser hair removal on a Groupon, and I'm like, hmm, I don't think it's supposed to be nineteen dollars, guys. You know, the Groupon Groupon was so popular a few years ago, but it de still depends where the Groupon where where you're going, because a lot of practices use those Groupons as what we call loss leaders, where they're intentionally extremely cheap. They're losing money doing the treatment, but they're just hoping to basically pay you that money to build the relationship so that you build trust and you'll go back for other things. So just because it's a Groupon and it's cheap doesn't necessarily mean it's not an experienced laser provider in, an, in a legitimate physician's office, but it may be more likely that you should be suspicious. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, I haven't bought Groupons since I moved up here. I haven't even seen one. Okay, this is from Renee. Dr. Cramp, my fingernails have ridges in them. They are not splitting, just unsightly. Is there anything you can recommend me to do? Help. Could she get a manicure? Would that cover up the ridges? Oh, you know, Chef AJ, we always forget, but let me say in the beginning, um, if I answer any questions from the audience, I'm not giving anyone specific personal medical advice. I'm just using these questions as jumping off points to teach about topics. And you guys should definitely all go ask your dermatologists about, you know, what we're talking about. Just right. And to- we have that disclaimer in the show notes. So hopefully people are reading that. Um the what I I presume uh, she's asking about longitudinal ridges, which means vertical ridges that go from the cuticle toward the tip, those vertical lines, that can be a sign of what naturally happens as the nails get a little bit older. Um, I'm not saying the person is getting older, but it can happen as we get older that are the the health and juiciness and moisture built into the nail matrix, which is the source of the nail plate. It's the root of where the nail plate is formed, which is actually underneath the surface of the cuticle. Back where there's skin below the edge of the cuticle, that's where the nail matrix is and the nail grows out of there. Over time, those cells don't produce nail as evenly as as smoothly as they have before. So the nails can grow more unevenly. The best thing we can do is do everything possible to keep that cuticle and that nail plate moisturized. It helps the nail to form a seal and helps the nail to grow more smoothly. So that includes not washing dishes and cleaning things around the house without wearing gloves and making sure to keep a cuticle cream, a a hydrating barrier, rubbed into the nail and the cuticles, you know, multiple times a day, definitely before bed at night and even in the morning. And even when you wear gloves to do dishes and to clean, take the gloves off and put on that cuticle protector right away. After about six or eight months, you may see the quality of the nail improving because it does take it about six months or more for fingernails to grow out. From the invisible part, we don't see under the cuticle that's hidden, even a few millimeters down all the way to the tip. So that may, that may be a benefit. There is also one prescription topical that is generally considered cosmetic and it's not covered by insurance. The brand is called Genador, G-E-N-A-D-U-R. And you know, I never, ever talk about specific medicines or brand names. So the reason I'm mentioning this one is it's the only one I know of. So I think that it's possible that people could ask for the prescription for this, but be warned, it will cost four to $700 for the bottle and it will not be covered by your insurance. The bottle would last months. And I was so curious about what is what really makes it work because I actually believe it, it helps. I've used it myself and I am very skeptical and it did help me. And I investigated and it seems to contain horsetail extract. So for people who really know how to take supplements and investigate, I don't know if an oral horsetail extract may be helpful for nail growth. You should investigate yourself to determine whether it's safe, but the topical definitely helps. Well, thank you. Next question is about 
psoriasis from Madonna. I'm six weeks into whole food plant-based. I've had psoriasis all my life. I'm waiting to see changes in my skin, knowing it will take time. However, I'm wondering if there are foods that are whole food plant-based that may still trigger inflammation or itching. I got to tell you, when I was, I was recently at the True North Health Center for two weeks doing a water fast, and so many people were there for things like eczema and psoriasis, and they were getting better when nothing was eaten. You know what I mean? Right. Um, one, one food I know has been proven to be helpful for psoriasis. It's, it's actually turmeric. So if, if Madonna is not taking some turmeric supplements or using a lot of turmeric in cooking, that might be something to add in the, the rest, you know, the other things I know of really, that really affect psoriasis are dairy, which is, are, is already out of her diet. Um, bread and yeast. So risen, risen, um, grain products may be valuable to remove. It's proven that brewers, brewers yeast, um, and possibly baker's yeast can make psoriasis worse. So even if you are plant-based, you might still be ingesting some yeast and that might make a difference. And let's see what else I can think of. Um, in terms of diet, that's all I can think of off the top of my head, but there may be some others that are potential benefits. As usual, everybody is in, an individual. So if you notice that you're eating certain things a lot one week and your skin is worse, it may be a trigger for you. Interesting. You know, I, I think a lot of people get disappointed when the whole food plant-based diet doesn't fix everything, but it's not like going on a carnivore diet or a junk food diet is going to make it any better either. You know, at least you're doing other good things for other parts of your body, you know? Right. And there are some sources of information that are more specific for different individual skin disease um, states. So there might be a source of support for people with psoriasis that really does have a specific list of foods. But again, it may not work for everybody. So it's true. Going 100% whole food, plant-based, low to no oil will help because it is anti-inflammatory and psoriasis is an immune condition that triggers inflammation. But psoriasis is also highly genetic and it comes in many different forms. So some may be very susceptible to improvement with diet and lifestyle, stress reduction and things like that. And some may, some of the more genetically connected variants may be less easy to modify. One other thing I want to make sure I mention, which of course I'm sure a lot of your audience has already handled, but cigarette smoking has been proven to absolutely flare psoriasis and make it worse. And quitting smoking is associated with improvement. So if you're very, very healthy with your diet and you're sleeping, but you know you're still smoking and you're struggling with psoriasis and maybe some other skin conditions, just know that there's evidence it does make a difference. Good. Thanks. Uh, here's from Carla. I have a small sore on my lower lip. It started out as a cold sore, which I get on occasion. They usually last a week or two, but this has been lingering on for a couple of months. It's getting smaller and is scabbed over, but I'm wondering why it takes so long to heal. Am I deficient in some nutrients? Oh, Carla, I'm sorry. This is one I would not be able to answer without, you know, actually examining you, seeing you in my office and trying to think of a few different things. There could be 
an irritated lip gland. There could be something else going on there. There could be a little precancerous growth that was under the spot of a cold sore. The cold sores, you know, could be, could be morphing over time. So it could be a little infection from something else. It could be a spot that just keeps getting scraped by your teeth. So it can't heal. So I'm not sure on that one. I think it's a good, good idea to go see a dermatologist for that. Would you be able to speak to cold sores in general and how to treat them, prevent them? Because, you know, it's interesting. I used to get them all the time up until 2014. And I, I don't know what the, the treatment is now for cold sores, but my Beverly Hills dermatologist would do something to them to make it go faster. She would um, she would inject it with something. I mean, it hurt the injection, but it actually ended up hurting less than having to live with the duration of the cold sore. And she told me to take lysine and I you know, this could be, this is just one person, but I've taken it every day for 10 years and I've never had another cold sore. Does it help? Uh, L-lysine has been shown to be helpful in either preventing or reducing or minimizing cold sores. Cold sores are herpes simplex virus. It's a little, a little flare up of a viral infection. And also over years and decades, sometimes our bodies immune system do technically clear the virus. So at some point we may outgrow the tendency to have the cold sores come out, but you know, they are called cold sores because they come out when our immune system is distracted by something else. So if we get a cold or we get sick, a cold sore may flare up because the immune system that has been suppressing that is distracted. Um, it also, cold sores also get flared up with excessive sun exposure. That's exactly what happened. When I was 16, I got sunburn and that's what happened. I started getting them after that sunburn. Right. So what happens, and this is interesting because sun exposure, remember everybody, is radiation. It's ultraviolet radiation. So when you're in the sun, not only are you getting tanned and burned, you're getting radiation treatment which in the long run causes cancer. But in the short run, we used to use to treat acne and inflammatory skin conditions because at the moment the, the radiation is hitting you, it's actually reducing your skin's immune surveillance and immune response. So it's actually a little anti-inflammatory. So that's why when we go to the a beach vacation, we get in the sun and we get tan, our, the acne clears up. It's real. Unfortunately, when we come back from vacation two weeks later, all that suppressed acne flares up and we think it got caused by the vacation, but actually it just was suppressed and then released when the sun went away. But the reason it relates to the cold sores is that that excessive radiation um, reduces our own skin's immune defense and that allows that herpes simplex virus to flare up. So probably people who get a big cold sore from being in the sun have had exposure to the virus previously, but it but the immune system may have been holding it down all along. And that big sun exposure, that big sunburn um, distracted the immune system and let it come out. What's in between L-lysine and I-lysine? Is one better than the other? And what would the dose be for prevention? Uh, dosing, I don't know. We would have to look that up. It may just be a, a standard supplement dose daily. But L, L, if I remember my organic chemistry back to the old days, L means uh, 
it's a it's a it's an isomer. It's a it's a way the molecule is twisting. So L means to the left and D means to the right. I think the dimers, the left twist and the right twist. And so what's L- I? What's I lysine in the middle? <laughs> I think I might be in the middle. I might be in um a mix of both. Uh, actually, in the same same supplement, I'm not really sure. But L means to the left, and that's the one that's always been recommended from what I know traditionally. If I has been proven to be more effective more recently, then I then I don't know. I missed it. Nice. Well, thanks. Okay. So from Susanna, two years ago, I had a suspicious spot that looked like a water blister. Maybe you can explain what a water blister is because I don't know what that is. On the side of my nose, after many years of sun damage, I had it looked at by a dermatologist, but they weren't concerned. A plant-based primary care doctor recommended using Voltaren diclofenac on it, and now the spot is gone. Do you recommend this? Because I have other spots on my body that I'd like to treat. Water blister is too general of a term, you know, and to say it looked like a water (laughs) blister may mean anything from it was literally a bubble filled with water, which can be actually can exist on the nose called a hydrocystoma, which is a little bubble caused by a malformed sweat gland on the nose. So that can be like a little clear bubble. That's just, that is just sweat stuck in a little bubble. Um, All the way to, interestingly, we were just talking about HSV, cold sores. You know, sometimes people describe their cold sores as water blisters because they are clear fluid filled bubbles and a real cold sore can appear on the nose. So that could also be a water blister. But if it was a bump that was sitting there long-term and it looked like a water blister, so it was a hard bump, but it looked a little bit clear or translucent, that may have actually been a small basal cell skin cancer or potentially a precancerous growth. It's really not possible to say. I don't know what really happened with the diclofenac cream, the Voltaren cream. Isn't that stuff for arthritis though? That sounds some, something I've heard of for arthritis. Vol- diclofenac and Vol- Voltaren is the brand name, are is an NSAID, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, just like ibuprofen. Um, Motrin, you know, uh, Advil. So it's it's more long lasting, more like a twelve hour. So it's very powerful anti inflammatory. It has also been tested for treatment of precancerous growths called actinic keratoses on the face and on other areas. It's not as popular right now, but it has been an alternative for some other treatments of precancerous growths. It's, it's anti-inflammatory. So it, it fights this body's tendency to create inflammation in these spots that is either a reaction to DNA damage or is causing DNA damage from sun exposure. It's possible that the diclofenac treatment calmed down something that was just inflammatory that was sitting there and broke the cycle so the skin was able to heal. It's also possible that the diclofenac made the surface of it appear calmer, but something is still brewing underneath. So another case of, I can't exactly say if it was completely healed and I can't recommend using it in other places on the face without knowing what people are trying to treat. I I get worried because I see treatments on infomercials at midnight for, you know, creams that claim to dry up skin tags. 
But when they show the pictures of all of the things people are treating, included in those pictures are viral infections, skin cancers, and other things that people really have no business just trying to treat at home, thinking it's a skin tag because they may mask it and end up with something worse later. So good idea, possibly helpful, but I can't say I recommend it without somebody going to see their own dermatologist. Great. Thanks so much. All right. We talked about eczema. So no, we talked about psoriasis. So now it's time to talk about eczema. And uh, Mary Kay says, could you tell me what exactly is it? Is it an autoimmune disease? Is it something else? And is there a way to reverse it? Her 27-year-old son had it most of its life uh, and was able to reverse most of it following a whole food plant-based SOS-free lifestyle, Dr. Brooke Goldner's smoothie and Wim Hof method using deep breathing and ice baths or cold showers. The ice baths really help when there's a flare-up, although those are rare and usually stress-based. So some conditions, if I understand, you can be based a little bit in stress, huh? Eczema is one of those terms, again, like so many in, in medicine and especially in dermatology, that we use in a little bit of a casual way, and it can represent an entire spectrum of skin conditions, all the way from skin that's just extremely dry, so it gets a little cracked and irritated, but that can be healed with moisturizing and less water exposure, all the way to what we call an atopic diathesis or atopic triad. And atopic means that your whole body has a tendency to be allergic. So it can go along with true skin allergy, seasonal allergies, um, respiratory sensitivity, and allergic type eczema that are created because the immune system is overactive inside. So that's a kind of a different animal from eczema due to dry skin, too much washing, too much scrubbing, too much soap exposure. And it's hard to say where, where on the spectrum anybody is without really examining, but some people do really benefit from an anti-inflammatory diet, from good, gentle skincare that's supporting, maintaining a healthy barrier and not excessively trying to clean or strip the skin of its natural oils. So I believe that, you know, Dr. Goldner's method can be very helpful for so many skin conditions because as we know, all of these things are related to inflammation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Next up, we have Judy. What do you recommend for dry chap skin with cracks in the fingers, primarily due to the weather? Hand creams don't help very much and also come off when I wash my hands. She says that uh, she's whole food, plant-based vegan, SOS-free three years in her late 60s. She eats a moderate amount of, of nuts, seeds, and avocado, uh, but no oil. Well, a healthy diet is good for this. This is a, a type of eczema called maybe dyshydrotic eczema, which is D-Y-S-H-I-D-R-O-T-I-C. That means bad or poor hydration. Um, in the winter, especially the air is so dry. Um, it absorbs our moisture right out of our skin. And then when we wash our hands, any water and soap exposure dries it out even further. It pulls natural oils out of our skin. And when the natural oils are removed from our skin, it will crack. 
Unfortunately, fingertips are really hard to fix. Like heels, the cracks can be deep, but it's not just fix it's not fixable just with diet because any any exposure of that damaged barrier to more soap and more water, more sweat will actually dry out the skin that's already compromised even further. So minimizing hand washing and minimizing water and soap exposure is very, very key. Not only that, I would say regular moisturizers, lotions, and even regular creams, which are different, used once in a while or at bedtime are actually not going to be enough. We have to put an artificial, an intact artificial barrier over the damaged skin, and it has to be there 24 hours a day, every minute of the whole day for the skin to be able to start to heal itself from the inside layers, which is what it has to do. Those outside layers are dried out and they're so cracked and separated that they probably will not reseal. So we have to just protect the area so the skin can grow from the inside and close everything back up as that outer dry skin is shed. When the skin is peeling, it's really tempting to want to peel those pieces off. But if we, if we peel too deeply, it creates new cuts, which are new new injuries to the barrier and it keeps the cycle going. So I tell my patients, we have to get like a, not just a regular moisturizing cream, but a very greasy type of a special hand cream. And there are many out there that are great, but they don't work when they're sitting on your counter. They only work when they're on your skin completely um, every minute of every day. So when you wash your hands, you put more cream on immediately. When you wash your hands, I also tell my patients, don't be trying to wash all of the cream off just to feel clean because it's it's excessive washing and it's damaging to your skin. The way to think about it is that you want to wash off the germy outer layer of the cream. You might still feel a little slippery with cream and then put new cream on right away. Just keep that layer there all the time. And if you do that and you always put on gloves when you wash dishes or do any cleaning, and you minimize time in showers and things like that, the skin will heal. Is that it? Okay. Well, yep. 20, <laughs> 24 hours. So put it on when you go to sleep, put it on in the morning nice. when you have and buy, you know, six tubes of it so that wherever you turn, it's right in front of you. Great. Thanks. This is from Heather. I've heard you say that sunscreen with iron oxides are the most effective at preventing sunspots and the darkening of pre-existing sunspots on the face because the tint of the sunscreen hides the spots from the rays of the sun. What the rays can't see, they can't darken. Would using a clear chemical sunscreen with a high SPF followed by the application of regular makeup and concealer without SPF but still hiding the dark spots on one face be the equivalent of using a sunscreen with iron oxides. Would this provide the same protection to prevent the development and worsening of sunspots? It is a very good idea. And I think it's worth trying. I cannot answer scientifically whether it's equivalent. There's really no way to know. Um, it will depend on what's in the makeup, how thick it's applied and I think that the iron oxide molecule, it does have some special benefit that may not exist in every type of foundation. So 
it's better it's it's better to do the combination of the chemical sunscreen and the foundation than than not to do it but i don't know whether i can tell you that it's 100% equivalent it may be but i don't know yeah some things you can't just study you know right well we would it would have to be studied in a very formal way with specific makeup brand with specific amount used you know for every single person so that they don't put it on thicker than somebody else. It would be tough. Great. All right. This is from Heidi. Happy New Year, Dr. Krant. In Dr. Greger's new book, How Not to Age, he mentions that our skin's barrier function begins to deteriorate as young as age 45, and that those skin breaches can allow inflammation into our bloodstream. He shares a 2019 study of elderly people who applied skin lotion twice a day for a month they showed a significant drop in an inflammatory marker, IL-6. What skin lotion would you recommend? Is petroleum jelly or coconut oil any better than a regular lotion like CeraVe? Thank you. I don't have a specific answer for this either because everybody's skin will tolerate something different and what we use, you know, we have to use what we like. Uh, I would recommend against coconut oil on the face because coconut oil is actually comedogenic, meaning it will promote acne breakouts. So not coconut oil is one of my answers. Petroleum jelly, you know, some, some pure vegans may be against the use of the idea of petroleum jelly. So that may be out for some people. Petroleum jelly is one of our most perfect barrier topical um, creams because it is completely anhydrous, which means it's such a pure ointment that it does not support water molecules being in between the ointment molecules. And the reason that's valuable is without moisture, the, the, the petroleum jelly prevents and does not allow bacterial growth. So that's why it's actually great for wound healing. But uh, and people use it now in you know the popular in the popular TikTok, world, they call it slugging when they're putting Vaseline petroleum jelly or any, any brand of petroleum jelly on the face. And petroleum jelly was the secret beauty, um, beauty secret of the movie stars of the turn of the last century. Now we have to say that because we're in a new century. So petroleum jelly has been a, a skin health and youth secret for a long time, but for people who don't want to use the coconut oil and don't want to use the petroleum jelly, something something that you will use, I would say fragrance-free is always best. Um, and hydrating, but not leaving you feeling greasy is, is all a benefit. And it does help your skin to be protected, just like with the hand eczema. It puts a barrier on the outside so your skin can just calm down and do its work without having to be constantly trying to defend itself from the environment. So I hate to ask this because I want to, I don't want to have to stop using it. So, so all petroleum jelly, not vegan. Well, you know, there is a spectrum of how to think about things. Petroleum jelly is the purified, purified byproduct of petroleum refining. So it's, you know, depends how you feel about all of that but it's that be, that comes from plant and animal debris from millions and millions and millions of years ago so if you're somebody that 
is comfortable with companies that don't do any animal testing now and they're using ingredients from before that may have been tested are now known to be safe and they're not doing new testing, petroleum jelly may be okay because you know it's those those creatures are from a long time ago and we're not hurting any new ones in in getting the petroleum jelly. How did the movie stars use it though? Like they they literally just slather it all over their face at night or or everywhere on their body? Cuz well definitely face. I don't know if some also did body. And also, you know, the other the other petroleum jelly beauty secret is that before we had fancy technology, I don't know if if everybody already knows this. They used to put a thin layer of petroleum jelly on the lens of the cameras that were filming the female movie stars. And it gives that sort of blurry, softened look. And if you watch old movies, you can tell the men are very sharply um, defined and the women are sort of uh, a little softened, blurred. And that's because they put petroleum jelly on the lens. So it worked both ways. And I heard like beauty contestants put it on their teeth too. They put it on their teeth so the teeth stay shiny. And also, so when they're smiling and smiling for hours, their teeth don't dry out and their lip, their lip doesn't get stuck on their teeth when they try to close their mouth or talk. But if you put it on your face, like how do you sleep? I guess you have to sleep on your back then because when they get all over your pillow. Yeah, it could be messy, I guess. I, I don't I don't do it. Um, so I don't know how people do it. But, you know, some say beauty is pain. Some say no pain, no gain. You know, there's a lot of sacrifices people might be making out there. What what does it do? Does it just soften the skin? Because the, the petroleum jelly doesn't have anything to do with the fine lines and wrinkles, does it? Or dog spots? It, it, I would think it just provides suppleness. There are a lot of different types of moisturizers. There are there are humectants which draw moisture from the environment toward the product. So those can pull moisture out of the air when the air is moist. That's why some moisturizers, you get little sweat drops when you use them in the summer when it's humid. Um, and then there are barriers and barriers don't actively hydrate, but they prevent the loss of water. So petroleum jelly is the most perfect barrier. It is the, it is the most, it is the, the most uh, protective of all of the products. It prevents transepidermal water loss, which you see if you read about this stuff, it's called T-E-W-L, trans meaning across, epidermal meaning epidermis. Um, we normally sweat, we lose water through our skin constantly. So it, it promotes us getting dried out. A very thin layer of petroleum jelly, which is also in a lot of moisturizers mixed in, blocks that water loss. And what happens is when we try to when the water tries to evaporate out through the skin, it gets stuck in the outer layers of the skin under the petroleum jelly and plumps up the cells that are there. And the reason that that's helpful is in two ways. And mechanically, making those otherwise dried out cells more plump and juicy creates more translucency and more glow and takes away dullness but also when the skin is properly hydrated and protected, it can get busy removing toxins and doing all of its immune things that keep it well balanced and healthy because it's not distracted having to fight the environment. Um, for example, in rosacea, 
it's it's really not well known that rosacea is improved with an anti-inflammatory diet and things like that. But just moisturizing every single day has been proven to also improve rosacea because the barrier, that inflamed, damaged, broken skin barrier is protected and doesn't have to fight every single day anymore. So I guess a little thin petroleum jelly, you know, for, for people willing and curious, maybe, maybe really beneficial. Thank you. Jackie wants to know what is the best way to fade dark spots on the face? This is the, this is the, one of the most common questions that we try to answer because it is one of the biggest problems and one of the hardest to solve. So I always like to review and say that dark spots can be caused by a lot of different things. There are dark spots that are physical. They're almost physical growths. They're sunspots. They're called lentigos and they are physically different cells that are in the surface of the skin. Then there are dark spots that are caused by previous injury or acne. And when a, when a pink injury settles down, it may actually turn brown. And that's called post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So that's after there's been inflammation, that's post-inflammatory, the, the pigmentation is increased. That's, that's manageable with topicals and with potentially some appropriate laser treatments. And the third type of brown pigment in the skin is that very tricky, complex condition called melasma. That's a combination of hormones, sun exposure, genetics, heat exposure. And now we know, um, in reference to the previous question about iron oxides, melasma is also triggered by visible light rays. So that means it's no longer enough to just wear sunscreen when you're outside. Indoor lighting and heat over the stove are, are other parts of that electromagnetic spectrum that can trigger melasma. So when I say visible light, I mean the, the wavelengths that make up the rainbow. You know, when we put them all together, they create what we think of as white light, the light that we see from the sun. That's visible light. We can see that light. It brightens things that our eyes recognize. And heat is from the infrared end of that same spectrum. It's invisible, but we feel it. So between the heat and the visible light, those, the white light that's really a rainbow, those are triggering the melasma and even other hyperpigmentation as well. So, you know, it's like a lifestyle change to absolutely not let a single ray of light and try to minimize heat getting onto the skin. And then starting the topical treatments, the vitamin Cs, the azelaic acids, the retinoids, don't, don't scrub the skin. Don't be too harsh. Little bit of chemical peels, maybe light alpha hydroxy acid peels, light glycolic peels when we, and maybe light and gentle laser treatments of a certain type of wavelength for certain skin types. If we introduce too much heat or inflammation by being too aggressive, we're just going to trigger worse darkening and more brown spots. So it is a tricky, tricky problem. Thanks so much. We have a question from Janet. What are some good, healthy vegan moisturizers for an older woman with sensitive skin? 
I don't have a list uh, off the top of my head of, of what vegan moisturizers are out there, but I know that there are lists. I know the environmental working group has lists and one company, um, well, actually I'm not even sure it's a totally vegan, so I'm not even going to say it, but I don't really have a brand name list for her. Okay. Well, thank you. I like, uh, I keep telling about this company, but I don't know if you ever tried it and I don't get anything from them. It's called Body Deli. When I lived in Palm Springs, I loved their products and I still order them because once a year on Black Friday, it's 25% off. So I basically just order from them once a year and get the free shipping and what I need. Yeah. They have a lot of fun products that are basically like putting whole foods right on your skin. Yeah, like putting blueberry pie on my face. Right. I love their stuff. Yeah, that can be fun to try, but I couldn't say I can recommend a, a specific product. You just think, have to try, I, try them out. I don't think anything works. At least I don't think anything works better than anything else other than Trenton. I can never say that name. I don't know why. But I say no, Tretinoin. Tretinoin. I know that works because I've been on it and I know that works. And I think Vaseline is a great suggestion. I'm going to try that one night because I do sleep on my back. Let's see what oh. I'll see if I wake up young and beautiful in the morning. <laughs> You're already young and beautiful in the morning. Thank you. Flattery will get um, you another spot on my so show. I know we're we're talking about tretinoin and I just want to remind everybody that's the prescription strength retinoid, the vitamin A derivative. The, the over-the-counter version, um, the most commonly available one is the retinol and they both work. So if you can't get the tretinoin prescription, don't feel like you're out of luck. You can try a little bit of retinol, which you can get for yourself. What is that thing? Because I, I haven't finished reading How Not to Age, but he didn't he recommend something that was like a nickel niacinamide or something that we're supposed oh, to- Yes, niacinamide is a B vitamin that is anti-inflammatory. And I know Dr. Greger- recommends a, a formula for how we can make it ourselves at home much cheaper than buying it. It's, it, it is, it does reduce redness. It reduces inflammation. It's a, because of the reduction of inflammation, it is a little bit anti-aging. So that's another calm, calming anti-aging product for people with sensitive skin. It also helps fight acne and the oral supplement has been studied for reducing potential future skin cancers. Although the jury is out on how well it's works for any one given individual. Nice. Get sun, not too much. It's like, you know, there, there's so much you have to do to be healthy. Don't, isn't there? Right. I mean, I, it's amazing. We're all still here living and, and hanging out on YouTube with you, chef AJ. Are you familiar with Dr. Roger Schwelt? He's been on my show. He has that wonderful YouTube channel with a million and a half subscribers called MedCram. He was my pulmonary doctor when I lived in the desert. And he talked about like how sunshine has been so important to his patients with COVID and long COVID that being out in the sun has actually, you know, facilitated their healing. You know, I, that's an amazing YouTube channel. Like I just, I would watch it all day, every day. Those are amazing videos he's done. I am actually one of the dermatologists who is fascinated by, you know, talking more about what sun can do for us. And I do believe in, there's a field called uh, photoimmunology that talks about, it's related to what I was mentioning before about the ultraviolet radiation, reducing our skin's immune surveillance. And that's a double-edged sword or, or whatever other 
metaphor we can use there. Um, for people with highly active autoimmune diseases, there is some evidence that more sun exposure helps their immune system to regulate. For example, multiple sclerosis um, turns out to be much more prevalent in higher, let me think if I say this right, uh, higher, higher latitudes, further away from the equator, less sun exposure overall shows a higher incidence, a higher existence of the number of people with multiple sclerosis. So there's a very strong suggestion that more sun exposure may relate to less multiple sclerosis, multiple sclerosis. And it may be because that sun is doing something to regulate people's immune systems to keep things like that from getting triggered. I think that's a fascinating field of study. I would believe that there's something real there. And I've, I've been sort of looking more into what, how we can think about the sun because there was at least one study that showed that the, the sun exposure may do more than just the benefit of the sun, maybe more than just creating vitamin D in our skin. So I, I do believe there's something there. We don't want to get skin cancer and we don't want to get wrinkly and spotty, obviously, because this is what everybody's asking about, but we do want to be outdoors. We want to be active. We want to not be afraid to live on the planet and run around outside. So everything in moderation in terms of the sun, I say. Perfect. You have time for one more question? I have time for one more question. Okay. I don't know why it's so hard to choose. This is from Anonymous. My skin has always had allergic reactions to everything. It's prone to constant rashes caused by chemicals, dyes, fabrics, metals, foods, heat, sweat, sun, dust, grass, poisonous plants, etc. I'm whole food, plant-based, gluten-free, and try to use the most natural products. But is there a way to strengthen my skin and make it less sensitive? Are there supplements or foods that I can take or focus on? This is probably a question for a real allergist, um, which I am not. That's another field, allergy and immunology. Because if this, if you're, if this person is truly allergic to all of these things, which may be the case, there are things that the allergist can do, like desensitization treatment, which seems like um, pie in the sky, unrealistic, but it actually has been shown to work very tiny, tiny, tiny controlled, increasing exposures to the allergens. There's also so much cross-reactivity in true allergy. An entire family of allergens can sometimes cross-react to become an allergy to a whole other family of allergens. So it can be very complicated. I think the one of the most important things is to maintain that healthy, intact barrier when we have eczema and we're itchy all the time and we're scratching our skin, that skin is now more highly prone to becoming sensitive to something new. So keeping the skin greased up, protected, even with petroleum jelly, even with prescription topical anti-inflammatory medicines where necessary, or in some cases, immune modifying systemic medications may really be necessary for the quality of life that, that this, you know, your, your, your listener, your watcher deserves. So although we want to be as natural as possible with everything, some we're not perfect in the field of medicine. We don't know everything yet. 
So sometimes we do need more help. Great. We got to sneak this one in because this one I just saw is so interesting. Uh, it's from Anonymous. And Anonymous says, I eat a water-rich fruit-based SOS-free diet, but have chronically dry skin because I obsessively and compulsively wash my hands and face. I'm working on challenging my mind game. I'm therefore curious, is long-term skin health based off internal or external hydration, moisturizing, or both? I wanted to read it because Dr. Lyle would recommend someone like this, with, sounds like you know OCD, to Dr. Laura Bruce, who's been on the show. He says she is the expert when it comes to any of these anxiety disorders. Yes. Uh, the answer is both. Long-term skin health it has to do with internal hydration and external hydration. And that, you know, the skin is, is, is the, the barrier, the filter. So it's, it's affected by both sides, it's outer layers and it's inner layers. What I like to tell my patients who wash their hands really too much is that it, people are concerned about germs and it's helpful sometimes for my patients to hear me say, that when you wash your hands so much that you damage the barrier, it actually becomes easier for the germs to grab hold and get stuck in your skin and cause trouble. So we want our skin barrier to be hydrated, supple, you know, I don't want to say rubbery, but bouncy, juicy, stretchy, and have a healthy amount of natural moisture in it. When we wash it so much that we dry it out, we crack it that damaged skin is a magnet for infection. So it, I think it helps my patients to sort of back off that fear curve a little bit to the point where they feel comfortable leaving a little more balance because they know that eventually they're making it worse. Wow. Well, this was great. Thanks, Dr. Krant. Well, thanks so much for having me. I always have a great time and- just such a wealth of information. I bet you're great in person too. Well, we'll have to hang out soon and find out, right? Yeah. Well, you said you have a relative not too far from me, so I hope you can come visit. Let's do it. Happy New all Year. Right. Well, Happy New Year to you. I can't look forward to seeing you soon. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another awesome plant-based doctor that you can ask questions to. She is an internal medicine doctor and her name is Dr. Nikki Davis. Take care, everyone. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. I got too many buttons to push. Here we go.